And I'm going to be going back to uh, a series of messages that I've been doing on Wednesdays that have to do with prayer and talking specifically about the necessity of prayer. And so, um, you know, if you've been showing up on Wednesday nights, you've been hearing us say that, you know, we, we're looking to make Wednesday night have a little bit different of a feel from Sunday morning, where Sunday morning is, uh, you know, more of a preaching, proclaiming the word. Wednesday night, we have an opportunity to teach and to go a little bit deeper and, and uh, to really dig into some things. And that's what we're going to be doing uh, with our look at prayer tonight. And just to fill you in, tonight's message stands alone, but just to, to connect it with the other messages, um, we spoke in, in part one, so this is part three. In part one, we just looked at biblically the answer to the question, why pray? I mean, do our prayers matter? Is it important to pray? And I want to summarize that message up in, in just a quote from Peter Wagner. And he said, we, and, and, and so I'm summarizing what we looked at biblically through this message, okay? We must understand that our sovereign God has for his own reasons so designed this world that much of what is truly his will he makes contingent on the attitudes and actions of human beings. All right, we looked at why pray, because God has chosen to work through the prayers of his people. Uh, Peter Wagner went on to say, uh, he allows humans to make decisions that can influence history. Human inaction does not nullify the atonement, you know, the work of what Jesus did on the cross. Uh, but human inaction can make the atonement ineffective for lost people. Because of our lack of action in praying and exerting the will of God and believing in faith, standing in the gap for the lost, we could frustrate the will of God. So when we look at this, this privilege, this opportunity that we have, you know, prayer isn't just, well, let me throw up a prayer and if God's in the mood, he's going to answer. That is so opposite of what the Word of God teaches us, right, about what prayer is. So ultimately, in that first week, we said that we have a responsibility and a privilege uh, if allowed, this revelation can elevate us in our hearts to a new position of dignity alongside the Heavenly Father, to know that we have this opportunity to be partners with Him, to declare His will, to be His hands, His feet, His voice, and His heart to the world around us. Uh, so, so, you, you know, our, our, our cry that night was, Lord, awaken us to our destiny. Whatever else God has for us, He has for every one of us to grow as people of prayer. Then in our second message, we defined and we looked at some examples of a specific area of prayer, the area of intercession. And we, we defined what intercession is, and, and just for context, we basically said intercession is when we pray for others. You know, petition is when we come before God. God, give us today our daily bread. Lord, here's the needs we have, and, and we are to bring petitions to the Lord, uh, but we are also to be people of intercession. It goes back to why pray, because as we intercede and as we stand in the gap for the world, for the lost, God is desiring to move through the prayers of his people. Uh, so tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to dig in on the topic of praying for the lost, 
praying for those who do not yet know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so as we look at it from a prayer perspective, we're going to look biblically at some some really cool things that we can pray uh, to be... um, to be effective in praying for those that don't yet know Christ. But you know, also, it gives us a better handle on what is salvation and what happens in salvation. And when somebody doesn't yet know Christ, what are the dynamics? What are the things spiritually that's going on in their lives? So just one other thing before we jump into it. Uh, you know, every so often as, I, as I'm uh, sharing a message, I'll come across a teaching or an outline or a chapter from a book that has so ministered to me that, that I've uh, just so embraced that there will be times where I'll just say, you want to know it? There's not a whole lot. I want to mess with with this. I just want to kind of share it as is. And when I do that, I always try to do my best to make sure I'm just uh, giving credit for uh, for the source. So I just wanted to let you know tonight, uh, Dutch Sheets and his book Intercessory Prayer is, uh, I'm going to be working mainly from a chapter in that book. Uh, and, 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 and Dutch Sheets is a really, really great anointed Bible teacher. Uh, and he really, really lays some things out that, like I said, I didn't, didn't you know, uh, didn't want to deviate a whole lot because as we get these things under our belt, man, we're really going to be equipped to pray for those who don't know Christ. Can you say amen? By the way, the book, uh, if, if you get interested in what you're hearing tonight, you know, there's a bunch of chapters that cover different, it's all Bible study digging in to this, this uh, aspect of intercession, being used by God to change the world around us. Hey, at Grace and Peace, right? Building the people that shape the world. One of the most foundational ways that we shape the world is when we uh, act and behave and move as people of prayer. All right, so let's talk about praying for the lost. Uh, it, it, we're going to look in a scripture. As a matter of fact, if you, you do have a Bible with you tonight, um, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to hit a couple of different scriptures, but there's one that I'm going to camp out in and keep going back to. So feel free to open that up, uh, open it on your phone if you got your, you know, your Bible on your phone. Second Corinthians chapter four, uh, verses three and four. And uh, as we get ready to look at this, you know, when we talk about praying for those that are lost, those that don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, that's, to say they're lost doesn't, isn't a derogatory statement. Uh, It is the condition of all of humanity without Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. Uh, But it says that there is a veil that keeps unbelievers from clearly seeing the gospel. How many know that to be true? That's what the Word of God says, right? That there's a veil. Let's look at it here. Um, Chapter 4, 2 Corinthians, starting with uh, verse 3. It says, even if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Man, there's so much that's packed into this verse, letting us know in in a New Testament perspective, you know, uh, what's going on with those who don't know Christ. See, we'll say a lot of times here at Grace and Peace, man, we are not about religion, we are about relationship. And you know, somebody can, uh, can embrace and experience religion, but man, if this veil is not taken away, their life's not going to be changed and impacted by what Jesus did on the cross. 
Somebody, for their life to be transformed, it's not, the goal is not for them to encounter religion. The goal is for them to meet Christ. Can you say amen? Amen. So the word veil here, uh, even if our gospel is veiled, you know, um, it, what, what we see in this, this portion of scripture, kalupsis is the word in the Greek. And this word veiled, it means to hide, to cover up, to wrap around, you know, uh, uh, an illustration like bark wrapped around a tree veils what's on the inside of that tree. That bark is the cover, you know? So this veil to hide, to cover up, to wrap around. Um, Now, interesting, the word for revelation. There's lots of uh, times in the Word of God where we see this word revelation means to unveil or to uncover. So, hmm, to start off here tonight, we have a picture of, you you know, uh, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing because the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays, that light of the gospel. What does it do? It displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. All right, so, so we have availing, and then the word talks about revealing or unveiling. Uh, really, what we're getting into and what we're talking about here tonight is spiritual warfare for the lost. Uh, we have a part to play. That's really what we're, what we're getting. If we want to take, what's our big takeaway out of this tonight? We have a part to play in the lifting of the veil off the minds of unbelievers, So church, I want you to think about it tonight. Anybody that you know that needs to meet Christ as Savior. Uh, uh, Family members, friends, neighbors, uh, folks that you work with. You know, are there folks that, that, that you know, that you care about, that you love, that you want to see them meet Christ? We can have a part to play in the lifting of the veil off the mind of the unbeliever. Friends, I was in religious background for 19 years of my life. So I, I knew about Jesus. I even believed that he was the Christ. But he didn't break through. He didn't become Lord of my life uh, until that veil was taken away, until I had an opportunity to be introduced to him. And, and, and so moving beyond religion, moving into being uh, presented the gospel of Christ, that veil was taken away and I met him. Think maybe there's one or two other people in this room that would say, I met him, right? A whole bunch, no, this room full of people here tonight saying, yep, I met him. I didn't encounter religion. I literally met the Lord. And and 2 Corinthians tells us here that, you know, in this spiritual warfare process, that strongholds are a part of this veil. I share about my testimony because, you know, for me, there was somebody that was praying. Actually, there was two somebodies that were praying for me, my, my mother and father. We're praying for me as I was, you know, for those first two years after high school, just barreling as far away from God as I could get. My mom and dad uh, were praying and the Lord was chasing me down. Uh, I just want to encourage you that the, the prayers of a praying mama are, are, are a force to be reckoned with. You know, but uh, strongholds are a part of this veil. It's a part of the warfare. Second Corinthians 10 verse 4 says, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Oh my goodness, that is so awesome, isn't it, to know? Wow, there, there is divine power that's made available. So church, we want to make sure that, that we're not fighting a flesh and blood battle. 
that we're not fighting a carnal battle, that we're not fight, fighting a solical battle. Because the weapons of our warfare, they're not uh, weapons that this world uses to fight in battle, but instead it, they're, they're things that are battled on our knees as we pray in faith and seek God. So how cool to know that each and every one of us, this isn't for you know the spiritual big shots of the world, this is for each and every one of us. We have a part in the destruction of these strongholds. The strongholds are not demons. You know, uh, Pastor Ralph did a little bit of a, a talk on um, the devil and demons and, you know, a little bit on spiritual warfare. We did some series early on. But when we talk about these strongholds, they're not demons. But you know, they are places where demons can rule from. You know, so when we demolish the strongholds, we're demolishing the places where the enemy has traction, where he can exert his will. Now, if we go back to 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 3 and 4, and I just asked our, our wonderful folks in the booth just to keep, you know, having that verse up on the screen. And if you have it in your Bible, keep going back. If there's things that we talk about, you want might, this, this is a good verse that you might want to circle that word veil. You know, you might want to underline some things and just let this really be uh, a little bit of a, of a battle verse, you know, to use as every, every time we think about praying for those who don't know Christ. Uh, but this, uh, th- this verse here, Uh, talks about this veil keeping unbelievers from seeing the light of the gospel. So interesting, they don't see the gospel, uh, they don't see the gospel because they can't see the gospel. They don't understand it because they can't understand it. They need an unveiling, they need a revelation, right? Doesn't that help to know that? I'm not going to argue somebody in I'm not going to strong arm somebody in, you know, I'm not going to just kind of wear them down with many words. There needs to be an unveiling. There needs to be a demolishing of whatever is in the way uh, that, 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 uh, so that veil can be taken down and broken. So as we describe the gospel, they don't see the same image that we do. My, my mother and father, they met Christ in a powerful way when I was 16. And when they were sharing with me what was going on in their life, what I was hearing was not what they had experienced. I was hearing through a veil, you know, and what I heard was, uh, uh-oh, I'm going to have to give up everything that's fun. Uh-oh, I'm going to, what, what if God asks me to live in a, a way that's just miserable for me? That doesn't sound, you know, all these things. I, I, and, and I wasn't trying to be a jerk to my parents. I couldn't get it because it's not naturally discerned. Come on, can you say amen? So, uh, so there's a distorted perspective, a, dis, a distorted perception that the unbeliever has. Uh, you, you know, uh, there's, there's a story we, we could use to illustrate this. There's a woman, um, you know, she's in a store, she gets in her car, and she's driving home. Uh, before she knows it, there's a tractor trailer uh, that's just, she kind of feels like this tractor trailer is, is just kind of sticking with her. You know, and she speed up, he speed up. She would turn, he would turn. She's getting more and more panicked and more and more panicked. And, and, and finally, uh, you know, she pulls over in a place where there's a lot of people and gets out of the car. This guy stops, he pulls over, driving the tractor trailer and gets out of the car. And she's thinking, I'm running from the enemy. I'm running from the enemy. I'm running from the enemy. And this tractor trailer driver uh, uh, walks up to her car, opens the back door, and pulls somebody out of the back seat that snuck in her car that was going to do her harm. 
right? She had a distorted perspective of what was going on. You know, that, that's the picture of God's chasing people down with his love, with his salvation, with his hope, with destiny, with life that really matters, with things that impact eternity. And people are saying, I got to run, I got to run, I got to run. And, and meanwhile, the devil's in the back seat. And all God is trying to do is come up and pull the enemy out of the picture and get us on track with him, right? It's a distorted perspective that we have until that veil is taken away. And that's how it is for unbelievers running from a pursuing God who wants to save them from destruction. So rather than seeing a loving God who wants to provide for their best interest, they see a promise of loss. They see a promise and a lack of fulfillment. I can remember a preacher, uh, you know, uh, had a young lady that was at his church because of family, you know, and one time she came up and she talked to the preacher. She was hearing the preaching and that veil was starting to get taken away, but she, she still had this distorted picture. And so, you know, she walked up to the the, the preacher and she said, listen, I just don't know that I want to surrender my life to to Jesus because uh, I don't want to, I don't want to give up stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear what he's going to tell me. And so the preacher being wise with his words and he said, surrender your heart to Jesus and you won't have to give up anything you don't want to. And now he said, surrender first. And that, you know, and so she came back a couple of weeks later. She said, you're pretty sly, Pastor. She said, I gave in. I threw in the towel. I surrendered my life to Jesus. And you want to know what? All of a sudden, I saw with a different perspective. And everything that I thought I wanted to hang on to, everything that I thought I wanted to keep, once I met Jesus, man, I just wanted to let it go. Right? That veil taken away, that experience, that encounter with him, that revelation of who he is, of what's really going on, of what life is all about. Right? So letting in the light, that, that's the key here uh, when we w- look at, uh, back at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where it talks about the, the light of the glorious gospel, right? This word light in the Greek is the word photismos. Interesting, sounds like, you know, the word photo, right? That's a word we're familiar with. But this word photismos means illumination, So when we compare the process of taking a photo, I guess actually not so much today, digital digital photos and all that, but back in the day, right, there would be film and what would happen, the shutter would open to let light in so that the image could be imposed on the film, right? If not, the image would, would not be recorded no matter how beautiful the image was. You know, you could almost look at the picture of, you know, somebody seeing something, a breathtaking landscape, and they hold the camera up, but they forgot to take the lens cap off. You know, no light was allowed in to capture that picture, to, to, to have exposure of just how beautiful that picture is. And so it is with the soul of human beings. No matter how glorious Christ is, if the veil or the shutter isn't removed, there's going to be no true image or picture of Christ. Church, this doesn't make sense. Doesn't this make so much sense when we look at the hostility of the world against the body of Christ? You realize in our modern culture, the kind of things that they're gnashing at, the kind of things that they're talking about and they're accusing us of, and we look at it and we say, how crazy are you, world? What you're describing about us, what you're saying about us is nothing like what we're like in Christ. But you want to know what, church? If we go back to the beginning, 
after the church was born in the book of Acts and, and what we read about the early church, same kind of things were happening from a fallen world. They were making up all kinds of horrible things about the body of Christ. When, when they would gather for communion, they would say they're cannibals. You know, and the Christians would say, cannibals? What are you talking about? Bread and wine. We're doing this in, in memory of what the sacrifice of what Jesus did on the cross for us. You know, uh, and, and, and there's all kinds of different things that were said about Christians that, that really led to such hatred and persecution uh, that, that that's when, you know, all these things that we read about in history, you know, uh, the, the martyrdom of so many Christians and them being put in, you know, uh, the arenas with the wild beasts and all this stuff. And that's when some of the apologists start to, to rise up and they would begin to proclaim to the world. They began to defend the gospel to a lost world. Uh, you, you know, and, and, and again, what was the picture? To give them the truth of the, of the gospel so that the veil would be taken away. Very, very interesting, the parallels we see from that time period into the time period we're just on the edge of here in America today, you know? Uh, you know, they talk about history moving in cycles and things like that. So anyway, uh, what, what this means for us is we're praying for the world around us. We can't talk people into praying a prayer of salvation. Uh, unless there's a true revelation or unveiling, they're just saying words and they're not going to change. Can you say amen? Right? So, you, you know, it, it's got to be beyond that. Repentance doesn't mean turn away. Turning away is a result of repentance. Repentance instead is to have a new knowledge or understanding, to have a new understanding on a, on a subject. So, so Isaiah, right, when we read about how many know the story of Isaiah where, you know, he's before God and God asks who will go, you know, for us. And Isaiah says, here am I, send me, you know. And, and in this picture, Isaiah has this encounter where the angel takes the coal from the altar and puts it on Isaiah's lips. And he said, you know, uh, I'm a you know, man of unclean, you, you know, basically he lays out this whole picture. He, he, he gets into a point of repentance when he gets a greater illumination, a greater picture of who God is. And he says, I'm undone. Church, that's repentance. It's I am undone. My mind is changed. I have a whole new different view. And now out of the other side of that, I will change and go in the other direction. That's why if folks make the decision, well, I'm going to follow religion and I'm going to just try to obey the do's and don'ts, there's not repentance in that person's heart. It's got to start with, no, God, I've encountered you. You are who you said you are. And I invite you to be Lord and Savior of my life. And the veil is taken off. So it's a new knowledge or new understanding. So in Bible context, uh, that's, that's the picture. Uh, revelation, unveiling, taking away of the veil. Let's look uh, just quickly at Acts chapter 26, verses 17 and 18. God is uh, giving Paul a bit of his picture of, of his ministry. And he says, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. Listen to what it says. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes. And turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. 
And so uh, Paul said that he was called to open their eyes. That's the, the same picture of unveiling, revelation, repentance, so that they could turn from darkness to light. So, so we realize there's information and there's revelation. Understanding the difference between information and revelation, information is of the mind. Revelation involves and affects the mind, but it originates in the heart. Right? Uh, I don't know if you know the story of John Wesley. John Wesley was, uh, was not born again uh, as a minister uh, until he was traveling with a group called the Moravians. And, and what, what John Wesley testifies is, I had a mental assent. I had, I had intellectual knowledge about God. But when I surrendered my heart to him, you know, when I actually met him as Lord of my life, I became born again. Moved from head knowledge to heart knowledge, right? Come on, how many know what I'm talking about? To have head knowledge on, on a truth in the Bible and to have heart knowledge? You know, we might have head knowledge. Yeah, you know, I heard Pastor Jim say last Sunday that Jesus gives me peace. That's really nice. And I know the Bible says that. And that's probably true. But you have no idea how much pressure there is in my life right now. I don't have peace, right? What's going on in that person's life? That's head knowledge. That's hope. Hey, I know it's out there. I know it, it could be for me, but man, that hasn't broken into my life and given me freedom because I don't have heart knowledge on it. I don't have revelation in my heart. But when, when it moves beyond that place to, you know what? Jim said it again, and I've heard it 10 times, and you want to know what? Something happened this 10th time, and you know what? I just believe in my heart. That's for me. And I'm, believe, I'm walking in faith that... Whatever's going on with the pressure or whatever else, that God really has given me his peace. And then what happens is when we believe in faith, right, we're in a place of revelation. You know, not just mental assent, but we believe it in our heart. Now we're walking by faith and not by sight. And now God says, all right, I can work. I can do something here now. And I will bend those circumstances to my promises. Can you say amen, church? See, God won't look at our circumstance and say, look, I see how banged up you are. You know what? I'm just going to go ahead and give you that peace. That's not how he chooses to work. He chooses to work through faith, through us saying, Lord, I believe you, and I won't be moved by what I see. I move from hope. It's possible. God says it. There's people out there that get it. And I move into a place of faith saying, you know what? It's not just hope. It's mine. And I have it now, even before I see it. And that's, Paul says, that's the fight of faith, where we got to fight the good fight of faith to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe you to where, where it translates in our life. Are you tracking with me so far? Can you say amen? All right. So, spiritual power doesn't get released through intellectual knowledge. I know that's something that, that Pastor Ralph, uh, I, I notice he champions quite a bit, and I'm so glad that he does, that Christianity, that our faith is not of the intellect, that it's of the heart. Now, we engage our intellect, we engage our mind, but it's not of the mind, it's of the heart. 
Uh, Psalm 119, talking about this picture of uh, Jesus telling Paul, I'm sending you to open their eyes. Look at what the psalmist says in 119 verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Uh, This word again uh, in in Hebrew, now in the Old Testament, it means to unveil or uncover. Again, it means revelation. So it's interesting how this is all the same picture, right? For us to go after God, we need for there to be a continual uh, revelation, uncovering of who God is, and, and a continual pulling away of what's the old man, the old nature, so that we can continue to move on in him. So information comes immediately, but sometimes revelation is a process. It's interesting, I, I heard a pastor um, talking about, he was preaching on faith and the life of faith and living by faith. And he had a, a person in the congregation come up to him, and he literally said to him, Pastor, I heard you preach on this not one time, not two times, not five times, not eight times. I've heard you preach on this 10 times. I, I got it intellectually the first time. He said, the revelation has hit me this 10th time that I've heard the word, right? And, and doesn't the Bible tell us, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And by the way, in the original language there, really what that says is faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing, right? It, it, it's this ongoing, you know, process. So, so I'm, I'm using this word faith interchangeable with this understanding of when there's revelation, faith will grow. When there's revelation, we've moved out of the intellect and we've moved into the heart. So uh, spiritual information uh, seeds need to grow and bear fruit in our lives. That's why we want to be people of the word. We want to study it. We want to read it. We want to meditate on it. We want to confess it. We want to pray it. Uh, but I, want to, I don't want to get too far off track of talking about praying for the lost here. So uh, knowledge or information alone isn't going to produce salvation. So we need to recognize that as we're praying for others. Well, if I give them all the right arguments, man, that should be good. As a matter of fact, how many have done that? You've given them all the right arguments and you still get the blank stare. Come on, I I, I know I'm not the only person who has had that, right? Knowledge or information alone doesn't produce salvation. Uh, It doesn't necessarily lead to a true knowledge of God. Hey, look at Jesus with the Pharisees in John 5.39. He speaks to them. He, He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. And so it does tell us that there were some of the priests and some of the religious leaders that did meet Jesus. They, they, they walked in revelation. And then there's others that looked right at him, looked right at the scriptures, and they couldn't connect the dots. So they, they, they intellectually knew scriptures, but they didn't know God. Wow, crazy picture, right? So it, it's revelation that leads to biblical faith and true life change is ultimately what we're getting at. Uh, so we don't want to uh, have a, a watered-down gospel. Um, we don't want to move away from the truth of the power of the gospel because it is the gospel. It is the Word of God that's alive that does break down strongholds, right? First um, Corinthians 2.14 says, The person without the Spirit, in other words, the person that's not born again yet, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. And here it is again and cannot understand them. 
You know, I remember early on as my parents were trying to share with me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it says they cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. And actually the hook that, the, uh, that, that my parents used, I was taking a, uh, a class in college uh, on historical geology. And so it was going through all the different ages of, of the earth. And, and they talked about the science of creationism and the evidence for a creator. There was a video that they were showing at their church. And, uh, and again, I remember uh, saying, you know, I'd be interested in hearing that. And they preached the gospel as they combated some of the arguments that I was holding on to. And that dropped that veil and light got in. And I started, I started receiving, you know, and I started seeing, wait a minute, I've got a distorted picture here. And I started getting hungry and I started seeking more and there was more revelation. And then I met Christ. It was around that time that I met Christ. So let's talk a little bit more about as we're battling for those who are lost, what's, what's going on in, in a person who it doesn't want to know God? Uh, you, you know, what are some of the dynamics there? Again, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, uh, it, it talks about being blinded, right? The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. This word is tuflu. Uh, that's the word in the Greek. Uh, it means to dull the intellect, or to make blind. So, so the enemy has dulled the intellect or made blind those who aren't believers. Now, a, a word from the same root, instead of tufu, it's tufo, uh, and it has the, uh, the meaning is to make smoke like a smoke screen. So we're talking a little bit now about the strategy of the enemy. How does he work in an unbeliever's life? They don't discern the picture correctly. There's a smoke screen. There's a dulling of the intellect. There's being made blind to. Uh, another root word uh, uh, means, uh, of, the, of the same Greek word, means high-minded, proud, or inflated with self-conceit. You know, so there's a pride factor that can come in that's a part of the blindness, that's a part of the dulling of the intellect, um, that's a part of this smoke screen. So this picture is one who is puffed up just like uh, smoke puffs or billows. So here's the connection be between blindness and pride and what the enemy is doing. It was the sin of pride uh, that got the enemy kicked out of heaven. It was the sin of pride that he was leveraging into humanity when the fall happened and and so oftentimes pride is a part of this equation. Most rejection of Christ comes from people not wanting to give up lordship of their lives, right? A distorted picture and a pride that's in place. Again, a distorted picture. You know, it's like the story, how many have ever heard the story of, uh, you know, uh, a battleship that's out and it sees, uh, you know, light ahead on the water, you know, and it radios out and it says, uh, you know, vessel, you know, move five degrees to the right, uh, I'm coming through. And the response from the other side is, uh, no, you proceed five degrees over. And the captain, you know, of the ship says, no, I am, you know, a captain, and uh, I'm telling you, you need to move over. And this person said, I don't know if the word is like longshoreman or whatever, but he was way, way down less than the captain. I'm just a, you know, longshoreman, but I'm telling you, you need to move your vessel over. And finally, the captain says, I am a battleship. You will move. And the response comes back, no, I am a lighthouse. 
you will move, right? Man, what pride will do, right? I think about the other side of that. There was a, there was a, uh, a World War II uh, story. I, I believe it was Patton. And um, there, there was uh, the, the, the soldiers lined up at night. And uh, the, there was a, a, one of the officers had lit, um, lit like a cigar, you know. And uh, first lieutenant, you know, leaned over and barked and hushed that person and said, put that flame right out right now, only to realize it was, you know, General Patton, you know. And he just responded to him and he said, hey, hey, you, you know, don't worry that you came and you rebuked me. Just be glad I'm not a first lieutenant. You know, in other words, new power, new authority. Oftentimes there is pride. The Word of God tells us don't lay hands on somebody suddenly. Don't put a new believer in a position of authority. Why? Because there can be a proneness to pride and that'll just mess things up for them, right? So, so we want to understand this picture of pride, the blinding, the dulling of the mind, the veil, all of this stuff. This is what we're dealing with when we're praying for a world that is lost, that doesn't know Christ. So then let's, let's move this into this understanding of the blinding ability of pride is a big clue for us on how to effectively pray for the lost. Let's go over to 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5. It says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Again, going back to this verse we looked at four before. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary... Our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. And then listen, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Church, let me just ask you, how many in the room here have ever heard that verse before? We take captive thoughts and bring them into obedience to the Lordship of Christ. How many of you, just give a wave at me if you've ever heard that verse before. Isn't it interesting? I, I, I know for me, and, and it's not wrong to use it in this capacity, but I, I will use this as a verse, I take that thought captive in my mind. I take my thoughts captive. I take my thoughts captive. But we just read here in this portion of Scripture, it's praying for the lost that those thoughts would be brought into obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So what is under the sway of this fallen world system, we can come in the authority of Jesus Christ and in faith, and we can demolish those arguments and those things that present themselves against the knowledge of God in that person's life. Can you say amen? If we believe uh, the word is true and we stand in faith, wow, God can use our, our prayers to reach people who don't know Christ. So it's interesting how the context of that verse is for others. I would say 99% of the time when we talk about that verse in the church world, we're talking about bringing our own thoughts in obedience. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with that, but we don't want to miss God is equipping us to see our world reached for him. Can I just tell you how thrilled my heart is tonight just to be sharing on this topic? Because I think more than ever before, you, you know, one of the strategies of the enemy 
that he has been effective in over these last couple of years is bringing bitterness and fracture and contention in our world all around us toward those who don't, don't think or hold the same values that we hold. Come on, can you say amen? There, there, there's, there's more... Um, you know, saltiness and um, ready-to-fight attitude in, in, in folks, you know. Um, and, 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 you know, we can translate that spiritually and think we're being good Christian soldiers by combating people, by arguing and, 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 and all of this stuff and getting hostile. And yet at the end of the day, oh my goodness, we are fighting with weapons that are carnal when we do that. Instead, God is letting us know, you know what? We take authority in the name of Jesus against these thoughts, these, these arguments, these pretensions. They didn't originate in the hearts of, of people. They originated in the principalities and the powers and the rulers that are, that are ruling in, in, in our country from places of strongholds. And God has given little old you and little old me the opportunity to go up and speak in faith and authority and stinking demolish those strongholds, right? To where somebody's saying, you know what? How does somebody get a, a change of mind? How does somebody get a change of heart as we're standing in the gap for them and demolishing those things? This can prepare the way. Then as the gospel goes forth, the light of the gospel can be received because the veil is gone. Amen. Isn't that exciting? So uh, some observations here, uh, just, just to tie up that. Our weapons are not fleshly. We'll never win people on an intellectual basis or through um, innovative techniques and methods alone. So, you know, we just spoke this last Sunday morning. The message is sacred, not the method. And, and, and one of our core values is relevance and all of that stuff. You're also hearing me say tonight, just having a, a relevant uh, topic or a relevant segue, it's not going to save somebody. You know, ultimately at the end of the day, they need that message, you know. And here's the other thing too, what do we do so often as human beings when we encounter pride from somebody else? Isn't it so easy just to respond prideful back, right? We see it on the roadway. Somebody cuts somebody off, what do they do? They ride their bumper all the way up, you know, I'm going to fix them, and pride is raging, and respond. We, we literally have a terminology, right, that's for, coined for the last whatever decades, road rage, you know, and the underlying thing in that is pride, you know. Uh, I, 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 I literally had a situation today. Sometimes I share my major shortcomings on the road. I had a victory today. I had somebody come up, and uh, as the, lady, the, the, the lanes, two were becoming one, and man, they just came up behind me, and they were going to, it was going to be a battle on the roadway. And I just felt myself, maybe it was that I prepared the sermon. Maybe that helped me out. I had, had the word fresh in my heart, but I just said, you know what? You win. You go ahead. You know, other times I've blown it. Other times I've been like, oh, no, you don't. And, you know, hit that gas pedal and we're, we're going for it, you know. <laughs> I don't mind a few dents. How about you? You know, and it's my pride that got raised up in the process. And, you know, that, that doesn't win anything. So, so uh, you, you know, on a human level, people will resist because of the pride factor. Um, 
you know, I don't want anybody controlling me. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. You know, so, so we need to be aware as we're presenting the gospel. Isn't it interesting? Do you know, have you paid attention in the New Testament? I, I've, been, I've been reminded of this very recently. When it talks about sharing the gospel with the lost, it doesn't say get up and rail them. It doesn't say take your Bible and smack them upside the head, right? It says share seasoned with grace and mercy. Why is that, that God says that? I don't think it's all of the reason, but I think part of the reason, authentic grace and mercy are disarming to people. You know, so somebody who is in pride, so somebody who has, you know, got their guard up when they realize, coming here out of care. It was interesting, uh, we have a video that we show um, as part of one of our uh, evangelism uh, seminars that we do, uh, and it's... Uh, from, you know, the, the illusionists, uh, Penn and Teller? I think it's Penn. I think, yeah, I think it's Penn. So, uh, so the fella is sharing the story, and he talks about, Penn says that he's an atheist. I don't know if he still is today. But it was interesting. He shared a story of a man who came up to him after his show. Uh, and, he, and, and he just said, man, I, I so enjoyed your show and, and it's really amazing what you guys to do. And, and with just such a humble spirit and attitude, he said, uh, he pulled out a pocket Bible and he said, uh, I would love to give this to you. And he said, I'm not a nut, you know. Uh, he said, but I do believe Jesus is the answer. He's changed my life. And if you would receive it, man, I'd love to give this to you. And, uh, and, and, and the testimony of this man who said, all right, that encounter didn't, um, didn't bear the fruit right there on the spot in his life, but it was amazing. Seasoned with grace, seasoned with mercy, the guard was let down to where that guy received the Bible. And who knows what God is going to now do with that seed as he goes to read the living word of God that's sharper than any two-edged sword. And he was, he was so taken aback with the genuineness and the sincerity. He said, I talked for that man long enough where I knew this was a good, good man that just believed what he believed and cared about me enough to want to share. But, but the, the underlying thing in that was this seasoned with grace. Let me give the opposite side of that. You know, I've been on the boardwalk with our teens, you know, with, where we do different outreaches. And I've seen the person with the bullhorn church. I, I, th this guy had a bullhorn and he, and he saw a woman and a child that he doesn't know from anybody walking by. And this man said to the little girl, hey, little girl, you're on your way to hell and your mama's probably sending you there. And, and you know, I, I, I wanted to go up and say, please don't I tell anybody you're a Christian. You know, like you make the rest of us, you just made so many hurdles for the rest of us because you, you just created a picture. You just made it so hard for these people to let the guard of pride down and hear the gospel. Come on, can you say amen? Weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And, and this poor, deluded guy is going to go away and said, yep, I suffered for Jesus. Nobody responded tonight, those hard-hearted heathen, you know. And it was like, no, you, you didn't do what the Word of God said to do. You didn't go and carry it with a, it's out of a heart of love that we go and we reach the world around us. Come on, can you say amen? You still tracking with me? Amen. All right. So we, uh, if we attack pride on a human level, we'll only strengthen it.
So, hey, uh, we, we, we just read in this verse about the pulling down of strongholds. Uh, we have instead of carnal weapons, we have divine weapons that are powerful. The word uh, is, is uh, like dunamis uh, dunatos, which means miracle. Uh, in some instances, it means possible. It's also the same word for dynamite. You know, where we get our, our word for dynamite. They didn't have dynamite back then, but, it, you know, the whole idea, it's, for, it's very, very powerful. And it's interesting, the dy- like this dynamite is explosive for the destruction of strongholds, of fortresses, to bring down with violence or to demolish, right? We are, we are to be spiritually violent against the enemy. And we are to be loving and gracious and caring to people in the world around us. You know, so the illustration, you know, some, sometimes how this goes on as we stand against the stronghold, sometimes it's the wrecking ball. You know, one blow of that wrecking ball at a time, hitting the building and hitting the building. Come on, have you been praying for somebody that you love that, that you know, that just seems like they're, they're, they're blinded? Just keep staying faithful. Keep trusting God. Come against those strongholds, those arguments. Demolish them. You know, take those thoughts captive in the name of Jesus. And that wrecking ball keeps hitting, keeps hitting until finally that structure is demolished. And then there's the other times where maybe we've seen it on YouTube where we've seen the building where all the charges are all placed all around the building and they all go, go off at once and man, the thing just drops. You know, I, I don't know the dynamic on why sometimes it's the wrecking ball and sometimes it's, it drops all at once, you know, uh, but the bottom line is it's why the word of God says we pray and we don't quit, you know. We're not, we're not talking God into it. Sometimes it's just the wrecking ball, you know, just, just crashing against whatever this stronghold is. I mean, do you realize for us in our nation to have cast down uh, um, Roe v. Wade, it has been four decades of prayer coming against that. That's wrecking ball prayer against a gigantic fortress that has gripped our nation. You know, and, and now the, the battles go within the states and so forth. But that, that's, that's a, a great illustration of that picture. So um, another side of in the original language, demolishing the stronghold isn't not only uh, dropping down the structure, you know, the infrastructure that the enemy has in place, but it also means the removal of office, new lordship, new headship. So God is giving us the opportunity to pray that strongholds would come down. The enemy's structures and the enemy's enforcement of lordship in an area or a region. So exciting, huh? That we have this opportunity. How are we doing? All right, we're doing good. Starting to come in for a landing here. So um, the stronghold then, let's talk about praying for an individual. Satan's prison with, you know, uh, within a person. Three major components of a stronghold or a fortress. Number one, mindsets. That's uh, calcul- calculative reasoning, wisdom, logic. It's the sum total of the accumulated wisdom and information learned over time. You know, sometimes we experience life and we learn lessons and God's trying to show us you learned the wrong lesson from that experience. 
There are some people that have had difficult times and the lesson they've learned is, well, there is no God. Or the lesson they've learned is, well, God isn't love. They learned the wrong lesson. You know, so, so there are strongholds that people are in, these mindsets. Uh, and before the fall, mindset came from God. Now it comes from the earth, the soul, the intellect, and demonic forces in the world. Uh, a second area is uh, all pride that rises up. Uh, we talked about that earlier. Uh, and then a third area, thoughts and temptations. Thoughts and temptations. That's why we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And what are thoughts, plans, schemes, plots, as well as spontaneous thoughts. So, church, to wrap all this up, to bring this all in together, we have to declare boldly that no weapon formed will prosper. We have to boldly bind the plans of the enemy. And then we have to stand against them through prayer. Pray that the un unbeliever be shielded from Satan's thoughts and temptations. And then as like a takeaway battle verse that we can use, that verse that talks about bringing, uh, uh, you, you know, thoughts into captivity, you know, bringing arguments down. There's another spot I, I didn't put in our notes here. Uh, I believe it's Colossians where it says, taking um, philosophies and every vain imagination, you know, and bringing it in, into captivity to the Lordship of Christ, you know. So, so bottom line here, uh, as we think about praying for the lost world around us, you know, whether it's, if it's loved ones, you know, we want to love, we want to share the gospel as, as Holy Spirit gives us the opportunity, but we want to be understanding, wow, there's a veil. The enemy, the God of this age is working to blind with pride, through mindsets, through uh, temptations and, and, and thoughts. The enemy wants people to stay in captivity. So our job as believers is we can begin to pray and come against those things so that the veil's out of the way and now their heart is ready to receive. Uh, we, we, we word this a lot of different ways in the church, but I think what's so cool about this study is this literally shows us spiritually what the dynamic is in the world around us. So hey, let's remember this when we go on Facebook when we're looking at people in, in different views and perspectives, let's, re, let's remember they, they, they don't, it's not that they're choosing not to understand it. They can't understand it. Right? So, so we want to break up the ground. And that, that's part of what God does through, through intercession. And there's even those that God has called to ministries of intercession where God strategically places them uh, to deal with certain, um, certain strongholds in certain areas and things like that. But, but for all of us here tonight, for all of us in the body of Christ, we all have this precious privilege to be praying. You know, that, that, that the enemy's uh, influences are taken out of the way and that the, the light of the gospel, that that seed would then be able to land on good ground. I forget, I don't know if any of the pastors here remember, was it, um, was it Moody? Was it Whitfield? Uh, um, was it Billy Sunday where uh, the journalist came and said, what is the reason for all of the salvations that are happening in your evangelistic ministry. And he took them on to the stage. It was a great grand stage like this where he would preach from. And he, he lifted up and he showed them underneath the stage. It was a lot higher you know, than this. There, there were just scores of believers on their face 
interceding for the lost people that were there. It wasn't, do you guys remember who that was? It wasn't Billy Sunday, okay. Yeah, it might have been Moody. Uh, for some reason, that's sticking out in my head. Might, might have been uh, Dwight Moody, you know. But bottom line there is he, he recognized it wasn't because he was some special guy. He recognized it wasn't just the anointing of the word, but he realized instrumental was the prayer of the intercessors that was paving the way so that the folks could receive the gospel, so that their hearts could be prepared to receive. Can you say Amen. 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 I pray that God would give us revelation <laughs> on what we spoke about here tonight, on what we looked at. Revelation that our prayers can change the world. That our prayers can go and do a level of warfare against the enemy that he has no capability to resist. And, and whether it's praying for those we care about, I believe that's oftentimes the starting place where God will give us a heart praying for people that don't know him. But again, I just want to bring us back into this picture. We're doing a series right now at, uh, uh, called Our Church on Sunday mornings and realizing God has put grace and peace. God has given us this building, this facility. He's given us this legacy, this heritage in this season uh, in the middle of an ocean county that has 624,000 people living just in our county. I believe God wants to raise up in this body those that will intercede for the lost, that will begin to pray so that when the gospel does go out online, our church and other churches all around the area, that, that hearts would be prepared to receive the gospel when it comes. And I just want to invite you, you know, if you take the challenge to take some of these things and begin to pray this way, you know, so Lord, I pray for Uncle Louie. <laughs> if you got an Uncle Louie that you're praying for, God, Lord, I just come in the name of Jesus and I thank you that Jesus died for him. And, and I stand now in the gap for him, and I arrest every vain imagination, every lofty thing, every argument and every thought in his life that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God. I come against those strategies of the evil one in the name of Jesus, and I cast them down. I bring them into captivity to the power and authority and lordship of Jesus Christ. I say that that veil is broken and broken brought down in the name of Jesus. And now God, as the word of God comes across his path. A lot of times what I'll pray for folks is, Lord, bring them in. Let it become so clear to Uncle Louie that you're pursuing him now that he'd be like, I can't get away. Everywhere I turn, there's somebody trying to tell me about Jesus. But now as I've stood against, you know, these things that, you know, I've done spiritual warfare against these things that would hold them from knowing, Lord, let it be that the light of the gospel, showing them Christ, who is the image of the Father, that that would land in their heart, and Lord, save them in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? amen. That's just, just a simple picture there of what we can look at. We, like I said, we all have loved ones, and I believe as we, as we let God know, Lord, I'm willing to be used of you. We can pray for our neighbors, 
You know, uh, it's uh, been a pattern for me. A lot of times I'll pick a, a specific day during the week to remember. For me, it's been Fridays to remember my neighbors. And sometimes I'll just be in my living room and I'll literally start, you know, I know uh, I got believers next to me in, in, in my house right next to me on this side. So I'll just pray that God will bless them and anoint them, you know, and then I pray for the neighbors on this side and I just begin to, Lord, and I pray for these, you know, and I, I live in a neighborhood with duplexes, you know, so Lord, you know, on the left side, on the right side, Lord, I pray for oh, across the street here, you know, and I'll just, you know, Lord, lifting up and praying for, for the folks in my neighborhood. Some of them I don't know well, so some, some of them it's, Lord, if they don't know you, I'm praying, you know, but it's, it's beginning, you know, the more that we pray, the more we'll catch God's heart in the process. Amen? Amen. All right, so why don't we wrap up with three minutes to spare? Amen. Well, Father, tonight we just give you such praise. Lord, we looked in this deep dive in your word. And Lord, even as we spoke about tonight that we can get head knowledge, we can have intellectual knowledge, we can, we can have mental agreement that this is right and this is how it works and this is what's going on and that this is the nature of things spiritually. Cool, now we know. But Father, we're asking tonight that you would grant us revelation Lord, I pray that what we looked at tonight would go deep into our hearts. God, I pray that as we see the world around us, we would begin to see the lostness, those without you. Lord, that we would begin to catch a heart and a burden to contend for them, to war for them, to begin to regularly stand in the gap for the lost. Lord, that you would use us, that you would work through us, and Lord, uh, we, as we look out to the, the over, well over half of a million people that live in our region, Lord, we pray in our church, we pray in other churches that you would raise up an army of your people that would intercede for the lost, that there would be such a rise of those praying for the lost in New Jersey, Lord, that it would just be uh, a ferocious outcry of your people in faith, in authority, walking in revelation. And that out of that, we would see an abundant harvest of souls turn to Jesus as Lord and Savior. God, we just give you praise for it. Lord, do it in our lives. Start in us. Work in us. And we just give you such praise for it. We give you such praise. Father, I also, I also pray here tonight, Lord, for, we, we, we pray for our whole, our whole church family. And Father, we not only pray for our whole church family, but we pray for all of the body of Christ in our region. And Lord, we ask that you would forgive the body for waging warfare with weapons that are carnal. Father, forgive us for getting drawn down into, uh, you know, you said in your word, answer a fool according to his folly and you be just like him. Forgive us for getting dragged into that stuff. Lord, let us be a people that wage a warfare that's not carnal, but mighty through you for the pulling down of strongholds. 
Lord, where we're doing it and we're not even aware, just across the body, deliver us. God, I pray in New Jersey, uh, a body of Christ that's full of your power, full of your glory, full of your holiness, full of your love, and just ferociously walking in your authority. Lord, let people look to New Jersey and say, what's going on over there in New Jersey? Oh, the body of Christ is taking its place and it's establishing the kingdom of God. So Lord, not by might, not by power, not by our own thinking, but by the power of your Holy Spirit, by revelation of your word, make it real, make it alive in us, Lord. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray these things. Amen.